In the past few weeks, unfortunately, high-profile mass shootings have become somewhat of a regularity as they were in the pre-COVID world. On this week's episode of the Infusion Breakdown Show, the Breakdown crew sat down among ourselves to discuss what is the relationship between the mainstream media and these mass shootings. Let's see what we come up with. So the question we have for today, what role does the mainstream media play when it comes to mass shootings? Comment below, let us know your opinion. We also have timestamps in the description below. As always, be sure to check them out. As I was thinking about this question, it actually became more and more expansive. And I was thinking about what the what role the mainstream media played with not only mass shootings, but crime by extension, because I feel like the two are interrelated. And one of the things I was thinking about is that it depends on the motive of the shooter. So for example, some shooters are after notoriety, which in that case, they could be inspired directly by the crimes of another individual. And then some, and I guess to, to combat that, this is something that some news outlets have begun to do. They start to censor the names of these individuals. So when somebody perpetrates one of these heinous crimes, they'll censor that. So it kind of de-incentivizes that in, in a very minuscule way. And then also when I was thinking about this too, it's fairly evident that the media is incentivized to cover certain things in certain ways, such as like the way that they word the headlines based upon the demographic of either the perpetrator or the victims, because they that kind of changes the situation. For example, what constitutes exactly a hate crime has to be a targeted group of individuals. And specifically, this this the main point of focus I was thinking about was with the Atlanta spa shootings. And then of course, what happened yesterday in Boulder, Colorado happened where 10 people died. So I'm gonna focus primarily on the Atlanta spa shootings, but by extension, we can divulge and perhaps talk about other incidents. So my perception of what the media does is that it changes the lens by which we perceive crime. And so what I say about that is with the Atlanta spa shootings, okay, so we know that eight people were killed and I believe six of them were Asian women who were working at the spas and the other two people, they weren't really, their demographics weren't identified. And that fits the bill of a hate crime. And that's still something that's contended. I don't know why um, he hasn't been formally charged with a hate crime at this moment. And I noticed a direct correlation to that happening and then the stop AAPI hashtag, like stop AAPI hate crime. So Asian American Pacific Islander. And I had never heard of that before until that incident happened. And I, I mean, I'm not saying that it's a, it's a bad thing at all. It's just like, that was something that was birthed after that. And then subsequently, the hate crimes that had been committed against Asian Americans became to resurface and become more prominent. So I was looking at like my, my news feed, for example, and I was starting to see a resurgence of this. So like uh, an upwelling where more and more crimes were committed against that community, whereas they had not been publicized quite as much. So it's like, I'm curious about like how the media perfects, uh, excuse me, how the media affects our perception of crimes in terms of like the frequency, the severity, um, I guess even the preponderance of like, does it encourage it? Everything. And uh, that's kind of where I wanted to get started on today's discussion. I'm still thinking, did you want to go with this? Nah, I was just going to ask, uh, like, I think, it, I think you can answer your own question, but what are you, what are you, what is your perception or expectation in regards to the media when it comes to to mass shootings, like what, what type I, of coverage are you expecting? 
are you asking ideal coverage or what do I think I'm going to get when I, when it comes to the media? Well, I think we already know what we're going to get. What is your ideal? Okay. I would say factual. I mean, that's all, that's all I can really ask for is just the bare bones facts. But I mean, at the time of a mass shooting, though, like facts are limited. They're, yeah, they're emerging. But I'm saying like, so my focus on this question is like the subsequent effects. So by when they, when they break the news and the story, of course, it brings something to light. So the other people, they'll look at other related incidents, like what I was saying about the, the crimes against the Asian Americans. Like I hadn't seen so many videos as I have over the past few days. Could you say the same thing about last year with uh, George Floyd and everyone I mean, else? That, exactly. That's exactly that's that's always been a thing because it's a well, well, I guess it's, it's a recognized phenomenon that death is is profitable. And then specifically in the past, black death has been profitable because you look about like even like when it comes down to, I believe, I want to look at this the exact individual. It was either Trayvon Martin's family or. Um, no, Mike Brown's. So Mike Brown's family, they have a foundation. And so their foundation was supposed to get some money from the Black Lives Matter movement, but they never got it. So like, even with that, like with the media coverage and just, uh, just the, the accompanying, like anybody who's involved in, in, in those, in the subsequent cleanup of those incidents, like the media coverage, the people who have these charities and stuff, there's money to be made. So some people have agendas when it comes to that. So what, with that, it's like, they are, they are incentivized to do things. And then also like with attention grabbing headlines, it's like, what do people most likely care about? They care about crime. Like when you turn on the news, you're gonna see crime. You're gonna see how bad it is in the in the South side. They're not gonna talk about, um, I guess, they're not gonna spend as much time on other lighter subjects. They focus on things that tend to garner a certain reaction. And then- like the, Do you feel like the media not portrays facts? Do you feel like they don't portray facts? The media? They they it well that's that's subjective to what they know at the time. I think a lot of times they they try to just break the story first. But that uh that isn't always the, the complete truth. But I'm saying based off of that, based off of what the media shows us, how does that affect our perception of things? Do you feel like it gives us a false sense of the occurrence of incidents? Do you feel like it's fear-mongering in some, in some way? I think it depends on the agenda. I think it can give us like a false sense of the actual incidents, well, but I'm not even spoken about as far as like just mass shootings. Um, right. I'm just talking about like just local news when they talk about just crime, like break-ins in general, I know like my dad watches the news all day. So he'd be wanting to buy an alarm system every three months talking about it. it's been break-ins like that. They're like <laughs> that doesn't mean it happens everywhere in our neighborhood, like everything like that. But yeah, I I I do see what you're saying. Um, but I do think the media goes after the most popular stories. And you talked about the Asian American violence that has been the most, I guess you say, popular if you say that's popular or people things that people wanted to actually look into until recently. So right like that's really what they go after the popular actual actually actual news stories so as far as like the actual role do you think they go after what's popular or just what's relevant uh 
I guess I guess that could be the same thing, really. Not necessarily popular. I guess you could say, uh, lack of a better word, more relevant. Yeah. Instead of saying popular, you could say relevant. Yeah. I would say because those are two separate, two separate things. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. What's popular is like the Prince Harry shit and Meghan Markle. What's like what's relevant is, you well, know, that too. Like they'll. I guess they, I guess you could say both, kind of, really, because sometimes the popular shit is the Prince Harry stuff, and you hear all about that yeah. in the news and the outlets, and then you're like, oh, wait, what's going on? Even though, whatever, but yeah. I, I do just think they just go, their role, not necessarily that, I don't know if that's what their role should be, whether it should be the most popular stuff they should go over, uh, rather than, but what is what is important? Like, you know what I mean? Like, who says what is more important than... Is, is it up to the news station? Is it up to the people? Like, you know what I mean? So, is it depends on the crime? To be honest, man, I think that's like such a touchy thing, though, because I think you got to immediately draw back to the freedom of press. Like, we can't really tell the media how they need to portray or what they need to portray. Like, even though they are dependent on viewership and people that need to they're dependent on viewership and they're depending on people of a certain demographic philosophy and mindset to be geared towards whatever and however they're pushing their agenda. Like, I mean, you're spot on with like local news and how they, how they, um, uh, how they portray crime and, and things like that. And sometimes how they'll, for me, I think it's ironic or maybe, yeah, it's more ironic how like, we hear more about crime and things like that, but I had no idea of like the whole BET coverage of Norfolk and, you know, the gentrification that was going on, you know, right across the street from the scope and then uh, whatever, is it Norfolk Gardens or something like that? Like you, I heard nothing of that until BET got it on like the national scale. Like it's, it's crazy when you think about it because that's something that for us, for us, you know, for me and you, we live like, you know, 15, 20 minutes away from Brian, like that's his backyard. Like we, I heard nothing of it until, until BET, you know, posted something on their social media about it. But do you feel that's something they want people to actually hear about? Like, that's not something they actually want people to like. It's relevant though. That was, that's the thing. Like it's, yeah, it's relevant, really relevant. Time, okay. Yeah, it's relevant. But at the same time, I feel like that misinformation or that lack of information can is a good thing to well to the people in power. Yes, sir. Well, that's why my very first response was it depends on the agenda. Like there's so much, I feel like there's so much stuff that goes into the media that it's kind of hard to just give like one clear cut answer because we have all these answers, but like to just answer the very basic, like the media plays like a really important role because just you know, wording of the question originally it threw me off. But like as soon as I had like a solid understanding, like you can easily just go into Google and type in mad, uh, media and mass shootings. And there's this website called centerforresearch.org. And the first thing it shows you is that um, there's this theory called the media contagion effect. And it's like what we see with mass shootings is very similar to what you see with like terrorist attacks and suicide. And like, they have very, very detailed research. And like the number one thing that I remember, um, the Virginia Tech shooting, 
in here they have it cited where the Virginia Tech shooter expressed numerous desires to repeat the shooting from Columbine. And, you know, paragraphs above that, it goes directly and pretty much verbatim with what Brian said. It's like, they really do seek the attention. Like, they really enjoy the, the coverage and their name being in the headlines and things like that. And there's a, you see the contradiction right here because right below that paragraph, they say, yes, we remember everything that happened and I'm gonna to jump to Parkland, but nobody remembers the name of the coach that saved lives during that shooting. Right. Like, nope, yeah, nobody ever remembers, you know, the quote unquote hero, but everybody always will remember, you know, the, the name of the shooter. Yeah, so I think, I think, you know, 100%, like the media plays a critical role, but it's like, can we actually truly hold them accountable for the role that they play? Because at the end of the day, they're just, they're pushing information. Um, that's, that's a good question. Like about how do you, how do you change how they can business and for lack of better terms, like you said, hold them accountable because like you said, they have, they do have the freedom of the press. You can't really mandate how they cover something. But I think with, with journalism, there's a certain um, implication of responsibility, like being in that sector. Cause I mean, there's different gradations of news. You have like your, your serious news and then you have like the sun that's telling, or you have like the, the little tabloids at the, the grocery aisle when you're checking out, like that tell you bullshit. It's like um, alien sightings and Prince Harry saw a secret confession or something like that. Like, like, like really weird Oprah stuff. Oprah like had that. three husbands. Did you know? Look yeah. at this. <laughs> like what? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like there, there's different, there's varying degrees of media. And then so Dad mentioned that with the Norfolk incident, and I had asked like how recent was that first? Just just as a I guess an offshoot. How recent last was week? That? Okay, I didn't know yeah, that. Last... And then so you had mentioned that it was brought to your attention by BET's Twitter. And so a few things with that. BET is not a news network. And so that actually brings me to a point that I was thinking about earlier is that by the why I said no, I was gonna say so they're not a they're not a news network network, but they have news programs. Like they have like a little anchor or whatever where they try and okay. you know provide relevant news. Like they don't have the title like Fox News or CNN or anything like that, but like they do have like a new, like a quote unquote news network now. I got you. I didn't know that. But what I was saying about, well, I wasn't discrediting anything you were saying about the BET, but I was saying, what, I was, what I was getting at was that it's a, it brings up another interesting point too, is because like not only does mainstream media affect our perception of crime, and obviously social media, because you have a large demographic of people like within our generation who don't even watch the news. I don't watch the news. Anything I need to know, I go, on, go online. I go on social media and stuff because it's like, I feel like Twitter gives you like, I really don't use Twitter for, for personal consumption, like tweeting and sending, creating content, but to keep update about what's going on around the world and stuff like that, I feel like it's extremely helpful. And I feel like a lot of people do share that same sentiment within our generation, like even like with the Snapchat news stories and, and the way that they cover things. So, I mean, that's, that's increasing how we become informed. So we talk about how the, uh, like CNN and Fox and, and these major news networks, how they cover things. But we've got to realize that young, the younger generation like us, we're actually getting informed by a different method. And I, I'm curious, like the, the news channel that Snapchat has on the bottom of their screen a lot of times, it is yeah, it's NBC. So I guess that's it's still correlated because NBC is just 
like is, this is just an offshoot, but it's, it's increasingly more so that we get our news from freelance sources or secondhand sources rather than the big corporations. I mean, even though that was, uh, that was an example of NBC, like being filtered down to Snapchat where it was more accessible to people in our group. So what are your thoughts about like how social media affects things? Uh, excuse me, it affects our perception of crime. And I'll give you a second to think about that. One thing that I could think of off bat is when people are posting things, they don't have dates on them. So that could make things look disproportionate. Like when a specific video is shown, like you could have, um, like for example, there could be a crime and it has like all these bodies on the ground. And let's say there was a, like somebody will say there's this mass shooting or this incident here. And then they'll post that picture, but without the context, you don't know when, like if that picture is actually related to the incident or not. And so I do a lot of that too. It's like, it's really hard to tell. And like what I'm talking about with the, uh, what I said earlier with the Asian American Pacific Islander crimes, there was hate crimes that, that were committed against Asian Americans in the past. I can't say how far back because there weren't exact dates, but I do know I've seen the videos before that maybe had resurfaced. So it looks more like due to relevancy, like you start to see these things. So I do see like there's, there's a, a lot of confusion or room for confusion when it comes to the timeline of certain things because of just the, just the nature of sharing things. Like most people don't have time and dates for that. They just share the video and, you know, you can take the context and run with it. Most people don't do the background investigation. So it makes it look like everything's happening at once. Uh, that might be true, but I think, think at the, uh, but I think at the same time, it gives more insight on the actual crimes that are happening. So yeah. like if, without the videotape on the George Floyd thing, you, people would be like, whoa, he kneeled on his neck. Like some people wouldn't be believing that, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it might put out a whole bunch of violence in your face, but at the same time, it does give insight. And a lot of the times the media is just portraying what's most popular or what's most relevant, like the news is in some cases too. So they're gonna, you're gonna see more clips of Asian Americans getting uh, more violence against them and everything like that. So. But I think at the very least, it gives more insight on what's actually happening in the world. And then you can take it from there or perceive it how you want to. But at the very least, it takes more, it gives more insight. Yeah, I think, I think that part is valuable. Yeah. That's what were your thoughts? How, how they perceive it is, is, is up to that individual, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we know, we know uh, how people function. I agree in part just because I haven't been on Twitter in, in years. I think I deleted my Twitter in like 2016. So when I was on Twitter, I can't really think of like, can't really think of a lot of stuff that was happening during that time. Like I, I know, I know one thing with Twitter is everything is, I'm, a pretty, I'm not sure if you guys already said it, but everything is purely word of mouth. So of course, media outlets, they have their Twitters and they're able to, you know, push this information or whatever. But like a lot of times when you're have situations that are just surfacing and you go to Twitter and you tweet whatever you tweet and it's inaccurate, then I, I think right then and there, like that's where it, it kind of gives you this level playing, or I'm not gonna say level, but it gives you this playing field for inaccurate information. So, I mean, I don't know, man, it's kind of hard for me to give like a solid, like 
input on social media, how, because social media without a shadow of a doubt has grown, or what I'll say is Twitter and news outlets on being on social media or Twitter specifically has grown, you know, in the five years that I've been absent from it. So, I mean, like, I, that's the one thing, only thing I can really think of is like, I, I can't remember what occasion it was, but there was something that had happened and it was reported super early but there was a whole bunch of misinformation and I can't remember what it was because it definitely was before 2016. Like I was super active on Twitter around this time, but I, I just can't remember what occasion it was. I will just say though, that when it comes to news and social media, a lot of it is word of mouth. Like people aren't going to check sources or whatever. They see somebody talk about it and their immediate response is when they see their friend or their peers talk about it is to take it at face value. Like, Right. We, I think we kind of are, have moved as a society more to a, a, you know, age of not checking your information. Like even though we're with 45 or whatever it is, 44, 45, 44, 45. Obama. Yeah, with Obama, uh, with, with Trump, like the whole fact check stuff was a big thing. But I, I think even today though, like that's, that's still something that even for just the minority, being like minority in the sense of like um, the people per se, not not people in power, but you know, just your everyday civilian like myself, like we, I don't know, man, like <laughs> I'm gonna have to abstain from like giving like a, a solid, solid answer on that one. Just because it's such a, I'm trying so hard to put myself in my shoes of how I was in, in 24 or what, 2010 through 2016. And I, I just can't remember too frequently using Twitter as my main source of information because this was like the time where I was like strong political silence. So I always had CNN and MSNBC on anyway. So whatever somebody might have posted on Twitter, I had already seen it on CNN or MSNBC. Like I, I was getting my information directly from, you know, a news source rather than, you know, word of mouth. That was but I would say a lot of... Yeah, I'll say, right. I, I'll say a lot of it is like there are some people that take a headline and they'll tweet the headline, but they have no specifics on the headline. And I think that's where it could, you know, potentially be, be dangerous. Mark, I have another follow up question for that. Is is Twitter the, the proper platform or is it conducive for spreading accurate information when it comes to the news? Because you have to think about character limitations for one. That's one thing that I've identified. It robs you of context because you can't pack with so much information. And when it comes to having, uh, excuse me, threads of information, threads of tweets, then you always know how like the, the top one is the one who get, that gets the most attention. Yeah. And that yeah. could be the one that has the most vague portion of a story. But then like the subsequent details, you could actually post that and clarify things and add information as it comes in. But the more and more removed you are, the less attention it gets. And so that that robs people of, I guess, uh, a additional context and it leads to ambiguity. Definitely. And the thing is, when I was on Twitter, there wasn't threads. So you could just imagine like a whole bunch, the way a Twitter feed used to look is similar to what it will look now, but you'd have a thread posted, which was tweet by tweet. And then you have a whole bunch of retweets. So you'd have to, you'd have to cipher through all these retweets and all of these responses just to get to the actual, you know, bundle of tweets 
And by that point, you don't even want to know anymore. Or by that <laughs> point, you're just by that point, you're just reading what somebody quoted, like as a response. You know how on Twitter you can quote mm-hmm. quote a retweet. Like you're just looking at that and you're just taking the piece of the information. Like Twitter is so hard to one, because I think as a society, we really don't read a lot. Like I think we read, but we don't we don't consciously put forth the effort to understand what we're reading. Like a lot of us do, but I think a lot of people, they just read something and then they, you know, they either try and interpret it in their own means or they don't understand it and just keep it moving. And then oftentimes we'll regurgitate that information later, but not be able to expand on it at all. Also, I feel like Twitter is very reactionary too. Like people are more interested in what garners a, a, a certain response or being combative as opposed to actually understanding and, and getting towards solutions. And I think that's a consequence of it being more short form. I think we talked a little bit about that when when um Jacob was on here, Jacob and Marco. Josh, what are you uh, thinking before I jump to this next topic, next, next question? No, we're just going over what you said. You're good. Okay, cool. So going back to the, the shooting that happened in Atlanta, what are you guys' thoughts on Captain Jay Baker's explanation of the spa shootings? Josh, you've, you're familiar with that, Desmond, to a, to a lesser degree, so I'll, I'll actually tell you what he said. So when he was explaining what happened, it was like one of the news media scrums, so the, the captain, the police captain, he was on stage and he had said that, um, I don't have the complete quote, but he was a, one of the, the, the snippet that was the circulating, I guess the most popular one, and this isn't taken out of context, but he was saying that he had a bad day and this is what he did. So he was explaining um, what happened for the shooting. And that was one of the things that he had said in regards to the shooter and him committing the crime. And a lot of people were understandably upset about that. And then saying, well, you know, when I have a bad day, I go home and take a nap or do something like that. Like I don't go out here and, and murder eight people. So what were your thoughts on like how that was covered and I guess the, the quote itself too. Uh, as far as the quote, I actually saw some at work today that uh, he might've been like, he had a he had a shirt or something like that, mm-hmm. promoting, like basically promoting that type of behavior, uh, not necessarily killing them, but like prejudice against Asians because of the COVID and the COVID-19 and something like that. So, um, yeah. so I think that was just his, bias that he was just going for that day but are you asking about the media's coverage of that well i was just asking sure. about his comments in specific what were your thoughts on what he said? oh well i just feel he's he's like he's biased against asians himself to be honest with you like there's no reason you should say it. that dude had a bad day like <laughs> like there people on social media right when i have a bad day i don't go shoot up a spa like i i go do something else to <laughs> but I still smoke a cigarette. I uh, drink. <laughs> I drink beer or something like that. It just depends what the person does. Like, come on. So, but yeah, like it's it's ridiculous that he that he said that though. Yeah, I'm glad you had you had actually saw where he had the shirts with and the quote that was on the shirt was COVID nineteen imported for China and it had like the the stylized spelling of it and yeah. it was it was very. What Georgia official was that? What, what was he? He he was a police captain. He was the captain. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Like it, it provided. It, I don't want to say it was. I don't know if y'all would consider it ironic, but 
just the fact that that was the crime that was perpetrated and the nature of it was a hate crime targeting that specific, like like um, Asian Americans. And then it comes to that he actually, the, the captain who was actually delivering this, the media statement during the scrum, he shared, I guess, I'm not gonna say share because I don't I don't know exactly what his beliefs are, but he he had some of those t-shirts, and it, they were they're related if you think about what it pertains to. Yeah, yeah, we're not saying he would have done something like that, but he's just like, ah, oh. he's like, oh, I understand basically. I understand why he did it basically. That's why he feels. But yeah, I just like that was a ridiculous quote to say like, yeah, he was just having a bad day. But I just feel like that just goes with he was just biased against that. Mm-hmm. If he didn't have the shirts, what would you think? Uh, I still think he would be in some way biased against him, even without evidence. It's just one of those things. You don't think it would have just been a, a misquote? And this is hypothetical, of course. Like like somebody's, like, excuse me, not a misquote, because that means somebody was taking your words and, and putting them in a like he didn't mean incorrect to context. But I'm saying like misspeaking, because that have been it. Would you, if he had not had those shirts, and you didn't have that information, would maybe, you? Maybe he, may, I would probably think maybe he interpreted it as everybody in the situation had a bad day, but that's still a weird thing to even say. I, it's, 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 it's an understatement. Bad. Yeah, like, it's, it's a weird thing to even say, like, why would you, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and then with, with the shirts, that's, that's pretty damning evidence, and it, it does not paint him in the most positive light. Like, it but we, when I heard that, though, I, I before I even heard about the shirts today, like, I, I think I saw something like about that on social media, and I heard about the shirts today. But before I even heard about the shirts, I was like, oh, he probably has some type of prejudice against Chinese people or Asian people himself. So that's how he feels. But yeah, like, I'm not surprised. Does you have any thoughts on that? I know that you probably just no, I think, that. Yeah, I think it's just insensitive. It's insensitive, and then at the same time, like, it's insensitive, but then it's also inexcusable because, like everyone else here, we heard for the past, you know, we won't say past, but from, you know, whenever Corona was first, uh, you know, reported and Trump got a hold of it, and how strongly he attacked China and, you know, put the bans on you know, whatever, you if it was Asian specific countries or whatever, but like, it's a sensitive subject. I'll, I'll say, I'll just, that's as much as I can say. And I think that as a sheriff and to be the spokesperson for, you know, the sheriff's department, like you being a spokesperson, you are supposed to understand, you know, the power of words and without a doubt, he understood the power of his words. He just has people that are, you know, well equipped to take his back and try and say that that's not what he meant, but we all know what he meant. So related to the, also related to the Atlanta Spar incident. So aside from mainstream media, have you guys in person, I'm curious about like the, the prominence in, in our area. And then I guess our personal life experience, have you guys seen a rise in the anti Asian American sentiment locally? Like through hearing people say things or. I think we've all been inside, man. You've been we didn't all, I said we've all been inside for like the past year. So we, for me, I haven't put myself in a uh, environment to hear it. So I can't, I can't say firsthand. But without a doubt, like just like I said from the previous administration, like the amount of um, the, the cloud that was cast over the Asian uh, community and what is it, Pacific Islanders as well. Like yeah. the 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 
cloud that was casted over their community by him, which was fully intentional. I think it was the perfect breeding ground for stuff like this to happen. But, and I, I don't say perfect, like, and it's euphoric sense. I mean, perfect in the sense of destruction was soon to follow. Yeah. It checked all the boxes off for, on the rubric yeah. to actually create the conditions necessary for this. You don't exactly. Feel, you don't feel it would have happened even if he did? Even if he didn't go out and you're saying that, you don't think it would have happened after COVID? Like by calling COVID-19 the China virus? Yeah, something like you don't think people would have ended up doing that or using some type of slur in public talking about, oh, you're the reason that the virus is here or some stuff like that. You think he was just the root cause of that? For sure. I think I, one thing that my dad and I always talked about is like when the head of the free world is saying stuff like that and he has a strong following of people that feel the same way like those people feel brave like they they chest stick out their chest pokes out a little bit more no when, i agree i i agree that he actually influenced him to do it. i'm saying if he didn't do it do you still think there will be people that will be oh yeah of course yeah, the idea was people people still, yeah yeah like okay. that that didn't just breed out of nowhere like i mean people for one thing, a lot of Americans don't know the difference between a person that looks Chinese, Vietnamese, Korean, Japanese, whatever. Okay. So if they if they can't they can't discriminate between who's who, like what are we what are we saying? Like <laughs> they don't they don't care. They all look the same to them. So they they gonna you know say what they want to say and then they're gonna have Chinese for, for dinner on, on Tuesday night. Tuesday night okay. because they're closed on Mondays, so I always, I always get, I always get it like either Tuesday or Wednesday. But interesting. I I don't know what it is, bro. But like the the Chinese spot that I go to up the street, they're closed on Mondays. All There's of them. Are. One. All the ones. Not that all I've of seen. them. Yeah, Not all of them are. are, but like the, the the ones that I thoroughly enjoy for whatever reason are closed on Monday. I haven't eaten Chinese I, in a while. <laughs> I think what you were saying, I, I I agree with the presence of that particular idea. Like, of course, people would still have said that. And like, there's always been, anytime you have like a, a major event like this, there's always hate that's being scapegoated on a particular group. So like, if you want to go all the way back to um, the Second World War, where the Jewish population yeah. that was used during propaganda. So, I mean, that, that's a very I mean, extreme example, but people have you been- You don't even have to go to the Jewish population. You can look at how Japanese people were treated in them internment camps yeah. and on the West Coast. Exactly. But could you imagine if this uh, virus originated from Mexico? Like it's the same thing for, I think, honestly. Like if you think about how the- population views Mexican people, yet they continuously indulge in uh, Mexican delicacies and things like that and are familiar with, you know, things Mexico. Their women. Like, can you imagine if this virus came from Mexico? Like, we probably would have seen something like this happen a lot sooner. I think that what I will say, though, is I think that, and I, I don't want to try and feed into this this uh, rhetoric, but without a doubt, for me, people that come from 
the um, Far East, we'll say, are like some of the most brightest minds. So I think that people fear their intelligence, which is why I don't think their community is treated the same way that Mexicans in the African-American community is. But without a shadow of a doubt, if these viruses came from anywhere that was from on the scale of how white people look at Asians, black people and Mexicans, like if it would have came from any, you know, African country or if from any, um, you know, like just look at how the society reacted to Ebola. Like people were God fearful of Ebola and all this stuff that comes from Africa. And then if, imagine if it came from Mexico, like they would have been shot some shit up. It wouldn't have been, you know, 365 days later, like without a shadow of a doubt, I feel like if this came from one of the countries to where white people felt more strongly towards than how they feel towards the Asian American community, like they would have fucked some shit up a long time ago. See, you actually brought up Ebola and I was thinking about that too myself. And I was curious, do you think that, I mean, when that happened, we didn't see any assurgence of targeting of African, like we like actual African-Americans. We didn't, but that Ebola came and went, came in, uh, went so quick. Like Ebola wasn't one of those things that like stayed around and, you know, plagued the society for this long. And we didn't have to close it. Exactly. So I'm just saying like, could you imagine if like, Ebola was on the same scale that coronavirus is, or if there was like some Spanish flu that that reemerged and put us in a pandemic, or if, instead of Spanish flu, we'll say the resurgence was like a Mexican flu. Like if you could just imagine, like with the amount of Black people that are in America, with the amount of Me Mexican people that are in America, like the retaliation would have been happened. I I've, I feel like. Like if, the, if you're solely basing it off of, you know, if somebody is taking into consideration all these things with hate towards Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, and then pointing the blame directly to them for COVID-19 and stuff. And this all, when you factor it in, being the reason that you make your decision, like I feel like it would have been far worse. And not to try and compete and compare, but to just say like, when we know how racism and, and whatever you want, however else you want to classify it towards blacks and Mexicans, like I feel like without a shadow of doubt, it's been far worse. And again, I don't want to compare it, but it's just like a reality of what it is. Like it sucks. They're they're smart, but they also have a sense of togetherness too, which is something hey, I think too. you're forgetting about. Yeah, they, they have a strong sense of togetherness. So yeah, that's if that like you might not hear China talking about necessarily what's happening with the Asian American community right now, but if something happened to a Chinese person, like you'll hear China say something about it. So they, have, I feel like they have a sense of togetherness too, well, which is one of the reasons. That's the what, thing. So what? I'm not sure if you got. So this was like the one time in a blue moon that I had CNN on in the morning, and just last week, or it might have been the start of this week. I can't remember which day I had it on, but when China was sitting down with the U.S. first time, I think this was last week, like this is when, you know, people were reporting that like tensions were heightening with China from the Biden administration, all that. They came in the room and was like, the U.S. has looked like a plum fool 
for how the Black Lives Matter protests erupted the way it did. Like they try, they essentially called the U.S. hypocrites because of how you know China may treat you know their um, their people from like their minor outlying countries that they have rule over, and they're like, how are you going? They essentially said, how how are you going to try and talk about how we've treated a minority when just last year you guys were on the global scale for the way your police officers have continuously treated African-Americans. It was like, it's, it's very hypocritical. And they were like, I think that the host, it, it, he said, he said, let it be known that to the host nation that we did not come here to be criticized for, some, for the same things that you guys are doing. So like they're well aware and they definitely speak on it, whether we don't, whether we hear it or not. And you know, I think for obvious reasons we don't hear it, but like they're they're well aware. You about to say what that I will oh, what, what I will on. say though is like because I know I, I said a lot that could potentially be um conflicting, but like they don't, don't get me wrong like asian americans they definitely do receive a, a, a nasty amount of hate and i don't want to compare the hate they receive to hate that you know african americans receive or whatever but like there's there i feel like in my mind there's no hiding the way you know racists feel about black people in comparison to others yeah i, I think I think black people are kind of like on the bottom of everybody's list, to be honest with you, because if you like, I don't want to go into this, but even talking about like the Chinese community or Asian community, like a lot of times they have problems against the black community too, like, yeah, uh, like for sure. dating, there's just certain things like that, because like the black devil. So yeah, this I, I definitely agree with you. And I definitely do agree that uh, there's definitely Chinese Americans that definitely have tough times um, due to slurs and everything like that, hatred and shit. Definitely regular American shit, you know. And I, and I think the thing for them is like, and this is the only reason why I try and make these comparisons. You can't ever call like someone that's Asian stupid because their families, like they, they literally, and this is just from my time growing up in Japan and just being around not only just Japanese, but Filipino people as well. Like they push education, like failure when it comes to education just isn't an option. So there's some of the brightest minds like I've ever been around, but it's like, Black people, I mean, white people will call black folks stupid and make all these jokes. And then you will go to class and your black, your black fellow right next to you can't read sentences out loud in, in English class. So it's like the stuff that they're saying is reinforced by the actions you're seeing within school. Like I, I've never seen stuff like that before. Like as far as when it comes to uh, like the Asian communities, like without a shadow of a doubt, I think that their intelligence and their their ability to, you know, not just when it comes to academics, but with business as well, like there's some really, really bright and strong minds. And like, I feel like their ability to create their own is the reason why like stuff like this, when it comes to, you know, I can't, okay, we'll just say over stuff like this is a rarity, like yeah. as far as like on the, on the national scale. I'm glad you scale. I'm glad you you were able to articulate that because when Josh you had asked that I have something to say I was thinking about how why what might be responsible for the difference in treatment of immigrants like what you were saying from like the far east or just or or the eastern hemisphere in general and then like from the southern hemisphere when it comes to like Central America like Mexico and below 
and you were saying like and even like among like the black community we're not we're not textbook immigrants in the sense of like i didn't immigrate here from anywhere yeah. but we're descendants of immigrants okay but it's it's a little bit different than being like a first generation student coming from china or a first generation student coming from mexico or anywhere like that and like what you were saying about the uh like the cultural difference in the asian community compared to like any other school system or any other culture is like education is is a core tenet of that it's like just like with the yeah, yeah. just the degree of seriousness kind of like we talked about on the uh the episode with education and it's uh, to your point when you talked about like the literacy and the people struggling um with without a doubt there's going to be some example to prove us wrong like there's gonna be one Asian kid who had like a, a reading disability or a learning disability who, who couldn't read properly just because I mean that there's a there's a yeah, counterexample yeah. that always exists but it's much less prevalent of course like I, I think you really touched on something there it's just it's a cultural difference and then as a consequence they have a different standing when it comes to their perception and then also their their uh their success definitely uh, you mentioned stopping the names of like the shooters during mass shootings and everything like that. Um, and I know I, I did see some parts, some shootings, they did do that. But I know the one, the last two, they didn't do no. that. Uh, so I know like they pick and choose as far as when they do that. But do you feel like always hiding the shooter will cause some type of paranoia between people? Because you feel because I feel like a lot of people hmm. have to have ah. some type of uh some type they of need know, to know how yeah need to know like who did this or the, oh no it was the government it, it was the government they set it up like they do they're trying to do this to i mean push they still agenda. do that when when they have actual people <laughs> <Sure. laughs> so, well at that point i mean yeah that's conspiracy theorists that's like, yeah i mean there's crazy, people, crazy, people but... love conspiracies be it be, uh, be it ones that actually have gravity to them or completely fabricated this this always been a fascination of people but when it comes to like the hiding of names for one you have to like it's hard to tell because I haven't looked at one at one news site or one news source consistently enough to say, well, they did this, they they censored this shooter in this particular incident, and then five months later we have this one, and they didn't censor it. So I I don't know about that, but I do know that on individual occurrences where, where recent crimes did occur, I did see ones that were censored, and I didn't take note of which which names there were, but I, that is something that I had noticed. And you're asking, would that lead to people being more fearful? In buying into conspiracy theories and, and things of that sort. Yeah. I think that definitely leans into it a little bit. Like I said, th those people are always gonna be present that are gonna buy into stuff like that. But I think in reality, all that's really needed is, um, like to the public, it doesn't really matter for the most part. But when it comes to like doing the actual investigation, of course, the, the perpetrator profile actually matters a lot. I'm I know I try to look up the person just to see like his background. Like, who is this guy? Is he white? Is he black? What what, what ethnicity is? Well, when like, you say background, what do you care about? Because the first the first thing you listed was like racial. Well, that too. I'm talking about background as far as like how he grew up, how he grew up, like his origin. Did he have any mental problems? Was he have was he struggling with mental health? Like, what was he doing for a living? Just simple things like that. I want to look up to some find some type of understanding as to why some something like this happened. You know what I mean? So that's that's why. I actually do that. You sound like a sociologist. That was what my major, <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, so. <laughs> no, I, th I think that's actually very valuable. It's like, of course, people will say that you're you're giving them an out. And sometimes like people do 
use illnesses as kind of a scapegoat and kind of say that, okay, well, he did this, or they come up with things that retroactively and say, okay, well, he has this condition or something like that. But I really do think that there is a lot of value in analyzing things. Like it's, it's ugly when somebody commits these egregious crimes, but for us to have a full understanding of why it happened, I mean, we can just say, okay, of course it was, it was hate-driven, hate-motivated, which, I mean, that was, that, that's, that's the brunt of it, but is there an underlying condition that may have contributed to is there anything aside from an individual's personal beliefs that we can potentially prevent and put some kind of measures in, in place? It's like kind of like trying to trying to find a way to intervene and actually find something that's actionable that we can move forward with to to save lives. And I think that's uh that's it's very important. And I think a lot of people will just chalk that up to saying that, well, you're just making excuses for people. It's like, well maybe if we do have a pattern maybe we notice that all of these shooters or, or most of these shooters have this condition maybe we should do some more research into this exactly yeah because yeah i feel that fits in the line of people like they shouldn't do that because that's just how things are supposed to be like no that's not like come on but yeah it's but yeah i, tr I try to do that like because i feel like everybody has a story like everybody doesn't come from a brady brunch household you know what i mean that's like have seven siblings their old mom and dad is loving go to work come down come home play with you and everything like that you know what i mean so everybody's story is different so i just want to hear about it and see like you look at what cook like that i'm really fast well growing up i was really fascinated with crime and like i used to watch, like to watch documentaries on it and like a lot of the serial killers they had similar characteristics had overlapping profiles and it was just like like patterns that you would notice and so with that, it's like, that's why I say that there's definite merit to looking at that kind of thing, like researching that kind of data and identify, not not to convict people of things they haven't committed yet. Because I think there's a movie about that. I can't remember what it was. But it's like, they know what the crimes that the person's going to commit. They start locking people up. Sound familiar? Ah, that's like, weird, actually. Yeah, if I, if I find it, I'll share it. But yeah, it's not not in the sense of like being able to predict somebody's um, talking about uh, persons of interest. I don't know. It's I would a have to look TV at it. show. TV show with uh, what's his name? The dude's name is Harold Finch, and they there's like this machine that finds victims and perpetrators based off some 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 algorithm he has, and like they're able to see crimes that are going to be committed before they're committed. Kind of like what, kind of like what uh, Raymond Reddington does on um, on Blacklist. If we all huh. picked it up yet. I think you're I talking about watching it this past so. weekend. <laughs> but um, what I was saying about, hold on, what was, I, what was I saying about before we started talking about predicting crimes? Oh, like finding the profiles of individuals. And it's not saying that, okay, somebody fits, they check these seven boxes, let's lock them up because we know it's only a matter of time before they do this. It's more so saying that individuals that fit this particular demographic, they meet these conditions, they're at higher risk for it. So maybe let's start to address the issues that create these conditions. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I think the actual root problem, uh, the root problem to that, usually if it goes down to like household issue is like the parents. <laughs> like at the same time, you can't go into every house and like tell people how to be parents or tell people how to love their kid or anything like that. So, but that that that's like the kind of the thing I'm struggling with right now, but yeah. It's like, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You can't save everybody, but it's the parents, though, and they have a monumental role they don't even realize. But yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, that's a conversation for another day because we can definitely talk a lot about that. Yeah, yeah, but.
but I always come to that as the actual root cause. Like, even if this, like, it's the house, but you can't, like, you got you can go into every house, like, oh, how, how are you being a parent today? Like, how are you doing? It's, 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 it's weird. Yeah, you can't do that. So, the back of the birth certificate is like this. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, that's that's all I, I just wanted to ask if uh, that would cause some type of paranoia for thinking about conspiracy theorists and like people having to know, you know, because people do that about 9 11 now, you know, yeah. even though they have an explanation for that. But yeah, just curious. Anything else you got? I was actually going to say, like, I wouldn't mind not knowing. Like, because if, if there's a, if there's credible, if there's credible, um, research and information that's showing like hey because brother there's been so many mass shootings you, if you think back to like just the past five years alone like i could think of the vegas one um i could think of the one where last the nightclub that you have nightclub and then when the dude you tell me even when they shot up in orlando at the gay nightclub that's, um, that's what you're talking about or no, it was, no, it was, it was, it was definitely orlando uh, orlando definitely. sorry uh, i can think of last year when well, he's at a mall went into the mall and just started shooting with the AR because we, we did I think we were um, we did a podcast on that so I think it might have been last year when the uh, dude went into the into the mall and just started shooting like there I, I just I wouldn't mind knowing like the name your name means nothing to me so I guess for somebody like me it's just like the act itself is ridiculous and sensitive and selfish like I, I could care less to know because all it is is a name and I feel like if somebody who is, because without a doubt, like there's something with them, but if all they care about is like, if I can't do anything to contribute to society, but if society in the end can remember my name, then me carrying out this act won't necessarily be a life of worthlessness. Like they will get some sort of like they, they, like Mar their, their life will exactly like they're they will find purpose in society remembering a name for something that they did whether it be moral or immoral and i think like for whatever reason we have this infatuation with knowing nothing but irre irrelevant facts that it feeds right into their into their game like i could care less to be honest like i heard about it something came across my watch when i was working and i saw it and I was like, damn, man, that's unfortunate. Like, I feel sorry for their families. And then I went on about my day. Like, there's nothing that I could do. There's no awareness that you can bring to me that is going to take away from the suffering that their families are going through. So what good, because let's, let's be honest, like, we're not hearing a lot of, and I'm sure, yeah, Sandy Hook as well. You, we're not even hearing a lot of people being able to prevent these incidents from happening. So if we're not able to pre prevent this stuff from happening, why are we continuously talking about it? We've been talking about this stuff for decades now. Like, I don't think we, we just really said, try to try to prevent it though, because I mean, they they argue in Congress right now about gun control laws, and then but, they might pass a little. Gun thing. control isn't gonna do shit though. Like, let's be honest. Yeah, it's yeah, not going to do nothing. Like people, okay. people have the means to get this stuff on the black market. And okay. I, I honestly earlier. think, I, I honestly think that the U.S. is potentially trying to cover its ass maybe because some of these guns could potentially be sourced from them that's coming from the black market. Nevertheless, and not trying to start no conspiracy, but like 
think about it. We bring, what's the whole purpose of bringing awareness to try and find the resolution or to bring to people's mind that this is a common issue? Well, this has been a common issue for decades where people are taking inspiration from some, from things that have happened, you know, maybe two years ago or maybe 30 or 40 years ago and using that to fuel their act. Like if we give somebody the awareness of how to commit these acts, then they are able to, without a shadow of a doubt, create the formula and the blueprint for them to create and mimic that same attack. So what is this awareness of giving us their name, their profile, their background? What is that doing other than giving, you know, the next mass shooter the fuel to do it? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, I get, you know, on a psychological level, sociological level, like, you want to know all this stuff, but the human mind can only take but so much trauma and information, and I feel like at this point, this shit's just redundant. To be 110%, I think it's just redundant. Like, the act itself, the fact that it keeps happening is despicable, and the fact that every time the media continuously reports it, and, you know, we have to watch hours and hours and hours and hours and days of, of coverage of it. Like, man, like, people want to be famous. Who wouldn't want all that time? You so, know? The, so deterring I, the actual criminal, deterring the person that's actually being told who's the suspect in crime and actually yeah, stopping, yeah. like, the blueprints of how he, he got into yeah. school or got into whatever we actually deter it. Okay, I agree I with it, that. It, it, And the thing is, you, so... I, I, on the political level, I understand why these people aren't called terrorists because terrorists have a political agenda. They are doing something against a country or a specific party for the means to show their disenfranchisement and that they're not gonna stand for their disenfranchisement. These people on the other hand are just doing it for the sake of doing it. Like I get, you know, we want these people to be labeled domestic terrorists but they're not doing it for a political agenda. Like, okay, in this case in point, if you're trying to say like, you know, China virus or whatever, about or, to say the spa, you know, the like, thing could like be... this, 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 well, in this case in point, it could be politically motivated. And that point, I think domestic terrorists would respectfully be assigned. But like for a lot of this stuff, it's just done for us, for some motive. I, I can't, I can't look at it numerous times if you're to give me a report on why they did it and say, that makes perfect sense. Like it, it doesn't make sense. Josh, to answer your question about, well, you didn't have a question, but to to answer your point about this particular, the Atlanta spa crime, so the individual that was the perpetrator of that, he said that he was a sex addict, and he had recently, he had done some time previously, like an evangelical, like, uh, like a mental institute to rehabilitate him, and so he was saying that it was his attraction to, like, the, the Asian women. From my understanding, so that, that it was that I don't think it was related to COVID. Perhaps that, that, like that's the contextual backdrop that we His have. Attraction to Asian women ended up causing the killer. <laughs> from from like he, it was a temptation for him. I think that's what he said. Not like these aren't my words or anything like that. But just, just what, what is a sex addict too? Let's get to the root of this. What what is a sex addict exactly? What is a sex addict? I would assume somebody's addicted to sex. But I'm I'm sure that you like, were what are you, you like, were asking take that. off your pants in public like you like hey come on let's do it now like what how does what is it exactly is a sex addict and you go to a mental institution for it that's kind of weird but I don't think well mental <laughs> institute may have been may have been the wrong word but let me 
Let me pull this up real quick. Okay, I was about to say, you go into a mental institution <laughs> for sex addict addiction? Okay. I mean, if that's what you went to do. Yeah, so he... <laughs> He said that he was motivated by sexual addiction that he was that was at odds with his religious beliefs. He had previously spent time in, in, in an evangelical treatment clinic for sex addiction. After the shootings, he almost said his name again, was charged with four counts of murder in Atlanta and four counts of murder, and one being a count of aggravated assault in Cherokee County. So four actually in Atlanta and then Cherokee County. I'm still not seeing a correlation as to why he had to kill. Asian women to deal with his sex addiction. No, no. Or his, there, or there, his, there was, or his no, craving. There was no justification for that. Yeah, I don't understand. What, why is he saying that though? <laughs> That's what I'm asking. Like, what the fuck is that? Had to do with it? I, I don't think we're. I don't think we deserve a, a why for that one. <laughs> like, what the fuck is I got to do with anything? I, I, I remember reading that before this podcast. I'm like, what the fuck does a sex addiction got to do with killing people? That's yeah, what I'm thinking you, in my head. You you would have to sit down and ask him. I don't have insight into his That's mind. why I asked, what is a sex addict? Like, like he, he was like, oh, he, he wanted to sleep with these women and he was like, oh, and then he got started to put like, what what the fuck happened? Like, that's what I'm like. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I ain't even gonna say what I was about to say. <laughs> Cause I, I was gonna say like, you know, and I don't wanna say this would make sense in the means to like say that I understand it, but it'd be different if this was something like serial killings or whatever to where, Never mind, I'm gonna say it. It's not even. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was. I, I did. Yeah, I saw that yeah, sex addict, sex addict, killing people. I, I don't know. Oh man, you got an album of the week. Kevin Gates released another EP. Come what? on, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. Nah, I'm waiting for his Kaza album to come out. He he's been uh this on for that, but I mean, I'm looking through my my playlist. See if something else is in here. I'll give you one. I, I ain't gonna give you. Anything, really, I don't got an album of the week. But um, I've been reading, well, not reading because I have Audible, but um, this is a book called Trading in the Zone. I highly recommend it because it doesn't just benefit you in ways of uh, understanding your biases with the market. It really benefits you in understanding biases with life itself because it, I, I will, I will, I'll say bias and I'll also say expectation. Like it helps you understand where your bias and or expectations come from and i really do think that if anybody's looking to get into the realm of day trading or just general investing it shines light on the life that follows it and i think a lot of people look at you know this field with a mindset of get rich quick or everything is super easy or whatever this book gives you that mind frame of what to truly expect and how to be successful and understand that it's not all fruits and berries, that sometimes you're going to get some sour grapes along the way. All right, who is it by? It's, uh, goddamn. Uh, <laughs> give me one second, because it's, it's an audible, it's audible, bro, so I don't ever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The author uh, doesn't actually say that, damn. Mark Douglas. Okay. All right, cool. All right, be sure to check it out. If you guys like the discussion, don't forget to hit the like button. We're going to see you guys next time. Peace.